From WXXI News, this is Connections. I'm Mona Segatola-Salmi, in this hour for Evan Dawson. Our connection was made March 18, 1923, when the Eastman Theater program carried this news item. Of extreme importance to the musical public of Rochester is the announcement that a new symphony orchestra, to be known as the Rochester Philharmonic Orchestra, has been organized. A program of notable interest is promised. That program included Tchaikovsky's Sixth Symphony, Edvard Grieg's Piano Concerto, and Victor Herbert's Irish Rhapsody. Fast forward just over 100 years, and the Rochester Philharmonic Orchestra is now entering its second century, and they are just announcing their new season with a number of items of notable interest, including world premieres, big romantic symphonies, exciting soloists, plus disco divas, a trip down the yellow brick road, and more. Here to discuss all of this with us and share some perspectives and insight on the music are RPO Music Director Andreas Delfs. Good to be talking with you again. Thanks for having me, Mona. And uh, RPO's Principal Pops Conductor, just celebrated 30 years with the orchestra, Jeff Tyzik. Hello. Good to be here with you. Thanks. Well, before we get into the details of the new season, the music, the soloists, which movies the RPO will play live to picture, and uh, first listen to some of Jeff Tyzik's new music written for the Eclipse and the concert coming up a little bit sooner than that new season, it feels like a good time to reconnect with the idea of what music, what live music means in our lives. Whether you're new here or been in the city for decades, some days it seems like we're all reintroducing ourselves to each other, so I thought it'd be a nice time for you to get to share with the audience perhaps some of what's exciting you most about music now, how this perhaps has changed over some time, even perhaps the pandemic or just the length of your career. And Andreas, what are some things that are exciting to you about leading this orchestra right now and sharing music? Yeah, Mona, you mentioned the pandemic and that has been a big issue in our performances. And I think for me, the most exciting thing is to remember how important in the enjoyment of performance and the enjoyment of live music for me is that we have an audience. When I started here, um, we didn't do any public concerts. We did some live streams and that was fun and that was a wonderful time for me to connect with the orchestra. And then in my first season, um, we still struggled quite a bit with um, audience participation and, and appearance. And lots of people didn't feel ready to go out to concerts. Got a little bit better in the second season, but now in my third season here, which also happens to be our 100th anniversary season, we are pretty much back to normal. And we had a couple of sold out performances recently. And I remember as a performer, um, there's one thing to record and one thing to stream and do it in a box and it's wonderful and you're with musicians and it's great, but it's a totally different kettle of fish to have an audience and especially an excited and exciting audience there. We have a lot of new young people coming to our concerts and the balcony has often been full with youngsters, full of energy and excitement and all our um, regular subscribers, most of them came back and it's just a wonderful thing to remember as a performer, how important and actually crucial the exchange and interaction with an audience is. And Andreas, do you have perhaps a memory? I know this is digging back a bit, but whether as a very young person who was first going to a concert or as you went through your musical training and your years of concerts you've experienced that gave you that sort of excitement that you're now sharing with those young people in the balcony. Yeah, I was just thinking of one specifically. I mean, I have many such memories, but um, we are preparing our next subscription concert, which will feature the music of Richard Wagner. And I remembered when I was 15, I got free tickets to the Bayreuth Festival, the Wagner Festival in the opera house that Wagner himself created. And um, I remember the first experience I ever had with the music of Richard Wagner was um, the Valkyrie. And I was late, so I came in at the beginning of the second act, which starts with the ride of the Valkyries, played by that orchestra in that theater that completely <laughs> ruined me for the rest of my life. I knew I wanted to be a conductor. I knew I wanted to conduct this kind of music. And to share that with an audience, Bayreuth, as you can imagine, is where the really uh, diehard Wagner aficionados and big fans gather every year. And to share it with an audience that loves every note of that composer was just something I'll never forget. 
It's wonderful. And for Jeff, for you, also years, decades of music making, you've seen different styles come and go, and you have such a wide embrace of different styles. Do you have something that has been particularly on your mind as you make music and you lead the orchestra these days? Well, for me, you know, I've had so many nights in the Eastman Theater over 30 years, and there have been incredible experiences for me, and, and, and also appearing on the Philharmonic series, maybe premiering some concertos or different things that I've written. But some of the fondest moments for me have been away from the theater, where the orchestra has gone out into the community. I can remember doing a concert in the uh, over on the west side on the church and I think we had 55 people in the church, and we were playing uh, some classical pieces. And people were crying. They, they couldn't believe that we came to their church. I had a, an incredible morning at Wilson Magnet High School many years ago, uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, and starting off a concert with Shostakovich Festive Overture. And I heard this sound behind me, and I, it sounded like a riot. I was like, oh, what's going on here? And I ended the piece and I realized the students had been giving us a standing ovation for a minute, a complete minute. Uh, or in a little park off of Lyle Avenue uh, in front of a church, the orchestra was sat on the uh, church steps and people came out from their houses with lawn chairs and we did this evening concert. And I remember the operations uh, guy who went over there to set up the orchestra said, well, what, what are we doing here? I, I said, we're playing for the people. And at the end of the night, people came over and said, I haven't been out of my house at night in 20 years. And I'm so thrilled to hear the orchestra. Those really stand out to me uh, as moments where our normal public doesn't really see all of the things like that that we do. But that's, we reach so many people in this community, not just in the Eastman Theater. And there's been, a, especially a lot of this, this centennial season with the hundred acts of giving back, though also every summer, it's wonderful to see you out at parks, on the beach, all over the place. And we will be talking about the Eclipse concert at the Blue Cross Arena coming right. up on Sunday, April 7th in a bit. But I guess I will turn the same question to you that I did to Andreas from the other side, reaching back in your memories. Do you mm. remember being one of those audience members, you know, finding that love of this as well? Yes, but the moment that actually sticks out for me was not live, but it was very much related to uh, public television. Uh, I was home, uh, a young man, I was 12 years old, I was home, I lived in Hyde Park, New York, above New York City, uh, and I was home one day and I wasn't feeling well, uh, nobody else was in the house, and I walked over to this contraption that had dials on it, it was called a TV, and I turned it on, and I turned it on public television station in New York City, and here's this orchestra performing this piece, I had never heard it, I was totally riveted. I, I sat down and for 45 minutes I could not move a muscle. I had no idea what I was witnessing. And at the end the credits rolled and it was New York Philharmonic, uh, Zubin Mehta conducting the Rite of Spring. I'd never heard Stravinsky. And that was the moment I said, okay, I am going into music, that moment. So it was kind of related to uh, you know public television, and of course I did watch the Bernstein Young People's concerts uh, regularly. So I, I this medium has also been very influential in my life. Well, I'm so glad that we get to broadcast these concerts on the radio and that we do have great performances, still inspiring audiences. But I am also very excited to talk about what is coming up in the hall in the community, since we do have the news of the new season to share with you. What's coming up? for 2024-2025. That is what year we're in now. It starts to get a little confusing with time. And uh, a lot of great things to share. You can also read about this in City Magazine online in an article that's been published this morning by Dan Kushner. So the Philharmonic season starts with an amazing group, Time for Three. They're known as a garage band of classical music. They play Americana folk rock, but they also play classical music. And they had commissioned Eastman alum Pulitzer Prize winning composer Kevin Putz to write them a concerto for all three of them. It's called Contact. It has them playing and singing. Andreas, can you talk a bit about this uh, first piece that we're going to be hearing in the new season? Yeah, of course, that's a very exciting group time for three because they are such consummate musicians. They play, two of them play violin and one of them plays bass, bass and they also sing and they interact with the audience and the orchestra. And it's it's very hard to describe. 
it's this new generation of musicians who know no boundaries and who cross many different genres and performance styles. And this piece by Kevin Potts, um, it's, it's a wonderful, energetic and um, moving piece. I, Kevin Potts had just a huge success, or I shouldn't say just, but this last season at the Metropolitan Opera, his opera, The Hours, starring the three greatest living female singers, uh, Renee Fleming and uh, Kelly O'Hara and Joyce Di Donato, um, had a major success with that opera. And um, the music of that opera is played a lot in orchestral versions. So this is a composer who has a very, very specific ability to write contemporary music at the same time, really reach an audience and move an audience. And that is rare. The combination of these three performers in that particular piece in our opening concert, which also will feature, of course, a, a blockbuster, Tchaikovsky Five, is something that I really look forward to. And speaking of that symphony, let's talk a little bit about composer Peter Ilyich Tchaikovsky, probably known mostly to people for the Nutcracker, Every Christmas a Favorite. What should we be listening for in Tchaikovsky's Fifth Symphony? Well, we've just uh, done an all Tchaikovsky program, one of our sold out concerts this season, and it was some of, uh, I don't want to say the lesser known music, but it included, for example, the 1812 Overture, which we very rarely hear in the concert hall. We normally hear that open air with cannon shots and fireworks. So I realized that the audience really loves the music of Tchaikovsky to a degree that um, I had not expected before, because I think it was the first time that I did a Tchaikovsky in Rochester. So the Fifth Symphony for me, um, I want to say the sixth, this is a masterpiece, but the sixth, as you know, is a very personal piece, a very tragic piece, a very um, emotionally moving piece, which I was surprised to hear was performed at the first performance ever of the Rochester Philharmonic, because if I would have programmed that, I would not have um, ch chosen the piece in which Tchaikovsky basically writes about his the end of his own life and his pending suicide. But anyway, those were different times. The Fifth Symphony is probably the most emotionally stirring and moving one that I know. I mean, that's that uh, slow movement with the great horn solo and the duet between the horn and the clarinet is some of the most emotional and and personal music that I know from Tchaikovsky. And of course, it has all the bells and whistles of other Tchaikovsky symphony, the grand glorious finale and the waltz movement where you want to just leap out of your seat and dance. It's Probably my favorite Tchaikovsky symphony hasn't been done in Rochester in a while, and I'm really glad we could find a place for it. I would love to have some more dancing at the Philharmonics concerts. I do have trouble keeping myself in the seats. Does that happen uh, sometimes at the Pops, uh, Jeff, when you have, you know, music of the New Wave or Gershwin or Broadway and other uh, this music that is sometimes got a bit more of a dance association? Yeah, when we did our Beatles concert, the Revolution concert a couple of years ago, the audience was up for the last 15 minutes on their feet, dancing, singing. And the same thing is going to happen at the end of this season when we do Twist and Shout. Uh, so certain music does bring that out in people. And uh, I always say you can get up and dance, but we don't have insurance, so don't fall down. <laughs> in the uh, world of symphonies, which I want to go back to after we mentioned uh, Tchaikovsky's Fifth, there are several other of these sort of very famous symphonies, but one at least for me that I haven't really heard in concert, Jean Sibelius' Seventh Symphony, his final symphony. And Andreas, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about this late Sibelius work that will be on a later concert in the season. Yeah, it's a symphony where I scratch my head why it's not performed more often. It is a one-movement symphony, um, 22 minutes long. It used to be a favorite of a number of conductors that I admire, Karajan, one of them, and Eugene Ormady, another one of them. And I, I've spent a lot of time with it last summer, and I find it one of the most engaging of Sibelius symphonies, any of any romantic symphony, because it has that great arch that I always look in every symphony that I conduct, and actually every piece that I conduct, uh, an arch that takes us on a journey and the best ones are always taking us from night to light, you know, from darkness to glorious light, whether it's Brahms' first symphony or Beethoven V. And they all have this journey um, where you be rewarded with an extremely beautiful, glorifying and, and golden ending. 
and no Sibelius symphony, not even the seventh or the fifth or the, I'm sorry, not even the second or the fifth have an ending as satisfying and glorious and sunshiny as the seventh symphony. And uh, I put it together with a piece um, which is a contemporary piece by a Finnish composer called Rautavara, which is a concerto of bird voices and orchestra. So it's going to be taped voices of birds and, and bird calls and orchestra. And the, the connection of that to the um, journey that Sibelius takes us on his seventh symphony is something that as a, as a whole, as a combination, made a lot of sense to me. And I think it's going to be a very emotional and beautiful ride. Here on Connections, we're speaking to Andreas Delfs, music director of the Rochester Philharmonic Orchestra, and Jeff Tyzik, the orchestra's principal pops conductor. And I must admit, I'm so excited about the many different things in the upcoming season that you must pardon me if I jump around to the various news or some of the favorite pieces of music or the new discoveries as well. Something I want to mention about that first concert, and that will apply to half of the concerts on the Philharmonic season, in the new year is there's something different. It's one of the seven out of 14 Philharmonics programs that has a new schedule. That opening night with Time for Three in Tchaikovsky's Fifth Symphony, the concert will be on a Saturday night at 8 p.m. and a Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m., the 21st and the 22nd. And that's a big change. It's normally been Philharmonics are Thursday and Saturday. Now you can go on a Sunday afternoon. Yes, do you want to just talk a little bit about adding a matinee to the season. Andreas, um, a little bit okay. more about since you're, you'll be conducting, although you already do at Nazareth, for a few concerts that are very well received and mm-hmm. have interesting mix of music as well, that now the main concert season will also include Sunday afternoon some of the time. Yeah, um, we observed that people really love to come on Nazareth's concerts, and that's partly because of the programming. We do a lot of um, early classical and Mozart and Bach and so forth. Uh, on the other hand, people enjoy the time slot. There are a number of people who rather go out on a Sunday afternoon than on a Thursday night. And we've acknowledged this trend over the last couple of years. We're actually the only orchestra in the United States who um, gives concerts on Thursday evenings. So we had a couple of talks with our subscribers and asked them what they would feel about if we try out a smooth change and a slow move over to um, a mixture of Thursday evenings and Sunday afternoons. And they all loved the idea. They all gave us thumbs up and say, let's give it a try. So we're going to see how this is going to work to have half of our Thursday evening concerts moving to Sunday afternoon. And as always, we listen to our subscribers and to the people that come to our concerts and we will gather their comments and their reviews. And then we see whether this is something we're going to explore any further or not. So that uh, you can find the full schedule again over in Dan Kushner's article at rockcitymag.com. And Jeff, uh, Pops will still be Friday and Saturday nights. We can go out and hear the music that you have to share with us. That's correct. We're keeping the same season we've had, yeah. And uh, though I notice, as we have talked about a little bit, that I think the a lot of Pops started out with swing music and big band era, and that's still part of it. But you're also getting into the new wave, so people may not realize the range of the orchestra and the type of styles that you can hear with it. Yeah, in the past six or seven years, I've been developing a lot of uh, Pops concerts uh, based on many different uh, genres. Uh, We've done numerous Motown concerts and uh, Paul Simon's music, the Beatles, of course. We actually did a concert called Prohibition, where it was popular music of the 20s and 30s. So I've gotten into this thing where I, I am exploring different decades of music, and we're creeping forward uh, when uh, over the years as we're developing this. And this year, there are two concerts that, you know, at face value, you think disco divas, and of course, you think of Donna Summer and Patti LaBelle. The interesting thing that I find is a lot of those uh, songs that were hits were basically the the orchestra was playing in the background. You, it, and the same thing with Motown music. You know, you had strings. It was a lot of the strings from the Detroit Symphony Orchestra, as a matter of fact. And you had brass and French horns. And, and it's a very symphonic presentation. And there is, uh, as I've said many times, there are only two kinds of music, good and bad. And in every genre, there's some really good music. And I've been exploring that. So disco 
Disco Divas uh, is going to be one of those concerts. We have Shana Steele coming back for that, who uh, is an incredible artist. Ashley J, who just knocked it out of the park in January on our uh, Let's Groove concert. She'll be back for that. Uh, and Kelly Levesque are, are coming. And then New Wave is uh, something I've explored uh, New Wave, they weren't. They were mostly synthesizer kind of tracks that were produced. But the people in the studio, these artists, were phenomenal musical artists with incredible ideas. And I think there's quite a bit there that could translate to creating a musical suit with a symphony orchestra to embrace that music and not ruin it, but enhance what's there. That's what I always try to do. So I'm looking, those are going to be two exciting projects to work on. I'm just starting on, we're going to be the first people to premiere these concerts. So I'm just starting on that right now. It's amazing and wonderful to have uh, these artists coming back. I love discovering new soloists when I go to a concert, but I also love getting to have a relationship with them over time that you hear someone amazing and it's not the one time you're going to hear them. They come back like Shayna Steele being here for the Jazz Fest or on the Philharmonic side, Andreas Thada. Vladimir Fung made such an exciting debut this season, a young cellist. I think he played Lalo this season. He'll be coming back in the new season as well. Yeah, this is an artist I really believe in. As you said, he did the Lalo concerto, which is not an easy piece to pull off. And uh, when an artist does it, I think we played it several times uh, here in Rochester also we took it to uh, Cornell University so I had a really chance to hear him play this piece a number of times and every single time he not only um, impressed me but all the, the orchestra so much that we thought we're gonna watch this artist and see where he's going so he's going great places he's having a wonderful career and so we felt confident to entrust him one of the greatest not only cello concertos, but symphonic works. It's the Dvorak cello concerto, which I think is a symphony for orchestra with a little bit cello attached to it. And it's wonderful to do that with an artist that you trust and that has the maturity and the chops and the virtuosity to bring this piece to life. And this is this is a program I'm very much looking forward to. And of course, there are also uh, some exciting names and solos who have perhaps been around a bit longer on the concert scene, including pianist Emmanuel Axe, who I think I first saw actually as a kid with Peter Schickley doing the PDQ Bach Concerto for Two Pianos versus the orchestra. But he is uh, <laughs> joining the orchestra for an amazing program as well. Yeah, Manny and I have been friends for many years and performed many times together with uh, several orchestras. And uh, it's just such a thrill that he will come to join us here. He's He's one of the great stars, one of the leading pianists of his generation, or any generation, actually. I've heard him play also the, this particular Beethoven concerto when I was not on the podium. I remember just a couple of months ago um, in China, I did a concert with one orchestra and he was with another orchestra and we could go to each other's performances. And it was this Beethoven piano concerto and he played it so incredibly well. So that is something that I'm looking forward to. And another pianist name who caught my eye is Stuart Goodyear, who's been here in Rochester mm-hmm. for the Gateways Festival, I believe playing Rachmaninoff with that orchestra a few festivals ago. And he's joining the RPO on the season as well. So that's very nice. Yes, and he plays the Liszt Concerto, which is another great firework of pianistic virtuosity. I've played, um, I think this piece, no, it was the uh, Rachmaninoff Rhapsody on a theme in Paganini with Stuart in Cincinnati, and we had such a wonderful time together. He's a great, great artist and pianist, also somebody who connects so well with our audiences. So I'm glad we could get him for this season. And there are many of those big favorites that haven't yet brought up. Brahms's Fourth Symphony, as well as Elgar's Enigma, Scheherazade, uh, Another Stravinsky ballet, part of the program as well, to hear the Firebird after we heard the Rite of Spring with Garth Fagan performing this season. But I'm also excited about the new music. Nearly every concert of the Philharmonic season has music by a contemporary composer, including two newly commissioned pieces. Can you talk a little bit about this Voices of Today program? Yeah, that's probably the most exciting project that we are embarking on. We got a very generous gift from a donor. Um, And that was tied to the challenge of come up with something special, come up with something unusual that nobody else does. So we um, suggested uh, a combination of commissioning and recording, and they will be very specific pieces. I say pieces that are missing in the repertory. When you when you're in my position or in Jeff's position and, and have to program year and after year after year for a whole season, you 
learn that there are a couple of pieces, a couple of um, combinations that are really missing in the repertory. I give you a typical example, which we just did last season, um, and we'll do this season again. When you do the Brahms Requiem, right, you need two soloists. You need two fabulous soloists. That means two very expensive singers. One of them is a soprano, sings for all of five minutes in the whole piece. So I've always thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if we have a real companion piece to the Brahms Requiem that uh, uses those two soloists, or one of them, or both of them, and um, therefore makes it more feasible to produce something um, that makes use of the incredible talent you have hired for that week. So last season, when we did the Brahms Requiem, we uh, commissioned a wonderfully talented composer, Derek Skye, to wrote that companion piece. And it was so good that we asked him to write one for this season, a companion piece for Beethoven 9, where you have a similar issue. You have four soloists that have to be fabulous, and they're only used for the last 10 minutes of the piece. So again, Derek wrote us a piece for the first half of that program that will make use of those four soloists. So that's our formula. And in the 24-25 season, we will have uh, one piece by one of America's leading composers, Roberto Sierra, who's been performed all over the world. As a matter of fact, uh, Gustavo Dudamel performs two of his pieces as we speak at the Hollywood Bowl. Um, and this came out of performing Haydn's Sinfonia Concertante at Nazareth College. It's a piece for orchestra and solo violin, solo cello, solo oboe, and solo bassoon. And we enjoyed that so much that I said, why don't we ask Roberto Sierra to write us a piece for our full orchestra in uh, Kodak Hall for Juliana Athade, Eric Baer, Arjen Kim, and Matt McDonald. So this will be called Sinfonia Concertante, and it's, it's this kind of piece that's missing in the repertory because every orchestra would love to feature their fabulous soloists, and there is not that much repertory where two or three or four or five of these soloists can play together in a concerto. And a similar idea was the other commission, uh, James Lee III, who composed a piece for us last season, which actually my dear friend Jeff Tysak premiered, so he can tell you all about that. And that was a big success with the audience. So we realized um, we wanted to have these beautiful two pianists, the Norton sisters, back. They played for us um, when we did the program with Carnival of the Animals. And they're a wonderful piano duo. And there is not that much literature for two pianos and orchestra. And the pieces that exist are all quite short. For example, the wonderful Poulenc concerto is just 20 minutes. So we asked James Lee whether he could imagine to write a companion piece to the Poulenc concerto for two pianists and orchestra, so we could make use out of the visit of these wonderful artists and have a piece that hopefully will enrich the repertory in a way that other orchestras and other conductors realized here's something that was really missing and will pick up the piece and give it a life because very often you commission a piece and it's performed once and then it goes away. We try to commission pieces that will have a life and we will also record them professionally and put them on a CD and send them out in the world to make sure that they will, um, that they will continue to be part of the repertory. And that's James Lee, the third's music that you performed. That was the piece using the words of Frederick Douglass, wasn't yes, it? Yes, Freedom's Genuine Dawn, yeah. And then it went to Boston. I saw it in a promotional email there, so it's exciting to see these pieces live mm -hmm. on. So can you talk a bit about leading his music? Well, we were one of three orchestras. It was Baltimore, Rochester, and Boston. And we really gave that piece uh, its, its due in a concert. And Thomas Warfield <laughs> was the narrator, and he's back next season as well. He did such a fabulous job. That piece was an amazing piece of music. He really knows the orchestra. His colors were amazing. Uh, he brought this speech by Frederick Douglass alive. It was just one of the most riveting experiences that I've ever had. Uh, so, yeah, I, I can't say enough about him. He's a phenomenal composer and really generates sounds that the human ear wants to hear. <laughs> He's very good about that. So it's wonderful to get to hear more of his music and that you're part of bringing it into the world. Same with Roberto Sierra. You mentioned the the music he's had performed all over the world. I have a wonderful recording of the Eastman, or the uh, Wind Orchestra, or rather the Wind, wind. Ensemble, mm -hmm. playing his music. And it's something that I probably wear out on our CD players here on the radio. So I'm happy to hear more of the music that he has with the Philharmonic as well. 
Yeah, we did last season a, a wonderful violin concerto mm -hmm. that he actually dedicated to the memory of my daughter. And um, that was something that we all enjoyed so much. And I've commissioned pieces from Roberto ever since I was music director in Milwaukee and St. Paul. And uh, it's just wonderful to see that now, relatively late in his life, he's been recognized by so many others. I mean, he's right now the absolute flavor of the month with Gustavo Dudamel, which is wonderful because that means his music will not only be performed in Los Angeles, but soon in New York City as well. And um, I recorded one of his best pieces, I think, which is called the Misa Latina, a, a Latin mass based all on uh, the rhythms of the Caribbean and Puerto Rico, where Roberto is from. Uh, so the Sinfonia Concertante, I just got the score in the mail and it, it looks wonderful. It's something that, that will be a lot of fun to especially play with my good friends, the soloists of the Rochester Philharmonic. And another thing teased out there is Thomas Warfield returning to the season narrating Peter and the Wolf. And this isn't a kid's concert. This is for us grown-ups as well. Yeah, you know, I always like to do a concert near Thanksgiving, where I know that families are together, that is family-friendly. Last season, I mentioned we did the old Tchaikovsky program, and boy, was that family-friendly. So this one um, features two of the great pieces of classical repertory that are not specifically written for children, but really appeal to children a lot. And one of them is the um, Young Person's Guide to the Orchestra by Benjamin Britten, which is really a, a a wonderful set of variations based on the famous Purcell tune that displays all colors and all instruments of the orchestra, but in a non-didactic way, I find. It's just a great piece of music. And I always thought that Peter and the Wolf is one of the greatest pieces Prokofiev ever wrote. And you normally just hear it um, when you go to young people's concerts or Tiny Tots concerts or educational program. But it's, it's music that all, I always, my whole life as a grown-up, have enjoyed as well. So to, to bring that in a regular concert setting so that also grown-ups can have a chance to enjoy this wonderful music um, is something that's very near and dear to my heart. And it will be on the same program that Prokofiev's best violin concerto, number two, played by Juliana Athade, uh, will be featured. And a new piece by my dear friend Lowell Lieberman, who wrote an opera, I'm sorry, he wrote a ballet um, on Frankenstein, which has been performed in London. And he made me a little excerpt from one of the crazy waltzes from Frankenstein. So I think that's going to be a very colorful and exciting and, and energetic program that will be hopefully enjoyed by all ages of music lovers. Lowell Lieberman's music keeps being a new favorite for me, whether it's sort of his probably best known piece, the piano work Gargoyles, or recently come across his flute concerto and sonata, and they both absolutely delight. So I'm excited to see his name on the season as well. Yeah, Lowell is, is a, a very special composer, I find. Uh, Jeff just mentioned about um, James Lee something that I could also say about Lowell Lieberman. He writes music that is really, uh, that our ears want to hear, and that is very big on melody and very big on harmony. I just performed in October his violin concerto in Carnegie Hall, and we had a sold-out house, and um, the audience just loves the music. He had to give a long, long, I think a 20-minute um, encore uh, Lowell Lieberman had. And um, I think he is, he's one of the composers who really writes to know, who, who knows how to write for the people. Other contemporary composers on the season, a lot of sort of today's leading voices, Missy Mazzoli, Anna Klein, Clarice Assad, who's a... I think now sort of stepping out of the shadow of her famous guitarist family of Sergio and Odair Assad as well and hearing more and more of her music. And I'm playing some of it in a community orchestra now and really enjoying mm -hmm, mm -hmm. her voice as well. But we have a composer here with us who has a premiere coming up in the nearer future. And I would like to talk about Jeff Tyzik's music for the Eclipse and also get to hear some of it. But first, before we take our break, want to ask for... Anything else, maybe just one each that I've sort of missed that you would like to draw out from this season full of many things to talk about? And I guess, Andreas, I'll turn to you first. It's always very hard for me to say which, which one stands out for me. You know I love Beethoven more than any other composer. So whenever um, I do Beethoven Sinfony, I'm looking very much forward to it. And I was spoiled this season because we started the season with Eroica and we will end it with the Ninth Symphony, the Ode to Joy. But probably for me, the most personal and intimate one is the number six, the Pastoral Symphony, which we do, I think, in our second concert in next season. 
and we'll combine that with the piece that you just mentioned by Missy Mazzoli, who I love so much and find so interesting to watch. And our good friend Natasha Paremsky, who has been here a couple of times, comes back to play a piano concerto that never been performed here before. It's um, Shostakovich's second concerto, which is a unduly underrepresented piece for me. I think it's one of his best pieces. And to to it's my personal advocacy, let's put it that way, will be very much in that program. And it's something, especially because of the Pastoral Symphony, I look forward to. And then that does remind me of two other things that caught my attention. One is Shostakovich's Sixth Symphony, because the fifth is sort of the one that gets played the most and is also dramatic and harrowing. And then also with Maestro on everyone's mind, Leonard Bernstein's Serenade after Plato's Symposium, which I think you may have mentioned when we talked about Bernstein and Maestro, and here it is. Yeah, I think you asked me about um, what, what pieces of Leonard Bernstein as a composer I think will survive. And there are many, there are many. And I think the two pieces that I pointed out was his Songfest, which I'm planning to do in one of the upcoming seasons in Rochester, and the Serenade for uh, Violin, Percussion, and String Orchestra, which is one of the most intelligent and smartest and funnest and emotionally stirring pieces that I know. And that we got Tessa Lark to come to play it, who is such a great interpreter of this piece, is something I look forward to. It's It's a program that's a little bit poaching into Jeff's territory because it's all American and we do some John Adams and Copeland's Appalachian Spring, which of course everybody knows and loves. And we will end with American in Paris. Uh, Jeff, I apologize. I know that's your piece, but <laughs> it's a piece that, again, I love to put on the stage in a regular subscription concert because it's one of the great masterpieces I find. I, I compare it side by side with show pieces like uh, Strauss's Till Eulenspiegel, because it's so well written, so well orchestrated, so well proportioned, so much fun. It's something that belongs on a subscription program. And so that whole that whole weekend of American music is something that I look forward to. And Jeff, I do know you have a uh, Gershwin concert in this 24-25 uh, season with the RPO Pops, but are there other that or anything else that you want to draw out that we haven't touched on yet? This is just... Uh incredibly solid season from beginning to end. So we're premiering Tainted Love, New Wave, Disco Divas. Of course, we have our Harry Potter film series we're still doing. My great friend Byron Stripling, who not only is a great trumpet player, played with all the greats, who's actually on the season this year. He'll be back next season. He, he is also the principal pops conductor of the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra. And he portrayed Louis Armstrong on a, a concert that toured around the world. And he's going to be doing a Satchmo concert. And Louis was one of the great and ambassadors of American music around the globe, uh, in the, especially in the 1950s and 60s. John Williams, how can you go wrong with John Williams? Another birthday tribute. <laughs> I think we're going to keep going with John Williams up until 115, then we're going to stop. Yeah, he claimed he was retiring after the last Indiana Jones and after his collaboration with Spielberg, uh, but then he said, you know what, maybe not. I'm not retiring. Yeah, We have a great Broadway concert, and also uh, my good friend Paul Lauren, who was in Revolution and also the Paul Simon concert. He's coming back and we're featuring him on a concert uh, called Come Swing With Me. And it's the music of Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett and other Bobby Darren and other great, great crooners, you know. So we're, we're really hitting a lot of eras of popular music because as we know, there are only two kinds of music, good and bad. We're going to play all the good music. And I want to mention with the movies, I loved getting to see Star Wars A New Hope with the orchestra at the auditorium this year. Next year, it's going to be The Wizard of Oz on January 15th with a live orchestra, so that should be pretty magical. We are finally probably pretty late in the hour going to take our one break here on Connections, where we're speaking with RPO music director Andrea Stelfs and RPO principal pops conductor Jeff Tyzik about the upcoming 24-25 season. We've got something a little bit nearer in the future, though, to tease out for you next. I'm Evan Dawson. Friday on The Next Connections, in our first hour, Ukrainian refugees have come here to our community, a program bringing them here, and you're going to meet some of the refugees on this program. Then in our second hour, getting you ready for totality. The eclipse is coming. We're running down the events and things that might be a good option for you to consider on April 8th. That's coming up Friday. This is Connections. I'm Mona Segatola-Slami, here with Jeff Tyzik, Principal Pops Conductor of the Rochester Philharmonic Orchestra, and Andreas Delfs, Music Director of the Orchestra. We've been talking about the next season, what's just being announced for 24-25 
But there's also some exciting things coming up in the next weeks and months, including a concert to celebrate the eclipse on Sunday, April 7th at 7 p.m. The RPO teaming up with several other artists for a symphonic celebration at the Blue Cross Arena. And Jeff, you have some new music on this concert. Yes, I wrote a a suite, uh, the Eclipse Suite, which features three movements, and I'm very excited to premiere it for the first time uh, here in Rochester. This concert is one of the biggest endeavors the RPO has ever attempted to do, Uh, and we've partnered uh, with so many great organizations in Rochester, Rochester City Ballet, Push Physical Theater, Madrigalia. We have Cirque performers from Troop Vertigo coming to town to perform with us. And then there's a surprise at the end, I don't want to give it away, but it's involving a lot of people from our community involved in the concert. Uh, And the concert features all of the conducting uh, staff of the RPO, our incredible music director, Andreas and then Gerard Hardiman, uh, our resident conductor, he'll be conducting as well as me. And uh, we have these incredible light things that we're working on. There's going to be visuals over the orchestra. Andreas is conducting Jupiter from the planets, and you're going to see all this movement of photographs of the, the planets from NASA. and all kind of, It's going to be just a total theatrical experience. We've never done anything this big, and uh, tickets are selling like crazy. So I I think it's going to be a major event in the history of the orchestra. And I'm very excited that you do have some of the music that you've written, a little sneak peek preview for us, and let's take a listen. This is some of the music that Jeff Tyzik has written for the Eclipse concert by the RPO on April 7th. Just a little bit of a tease. Can you talk a bit about this piece? Well, that, that movement is the final movement. It's called Galileo. And I wondered, as I was writing this suite, what did Galileo think when he looked up at the heavens? And he, he stood there with this wondrous look in his eyes, really starting to put the pieces together of where we were in this universe. And the stars were twinkling and the moon was visible. And I just wanted to create that sense of wonder with the the final movement. Uh, And so it's been fun. I originally wrote the suite as an instrumental, but I've added madrigalia and uh, more choir members to it as well. So there's a human voice element and Troop Vertigo will also be doing some things to this piece. So it's going to be fun. Wonderful. And Andreas, your thoughts on getting to conduct a concert for an eclipse, such an exciting but sort of unusual thing. Well, as Jeff said before, this is really something that the orchestra has never done before. And it's something that will make history because we will bring so many people into the hall um, that have never been there before. It's really something that will bring the community together. And uh, we, we hope to sell thousands of tickets and we make sure that the concert is accessible to everybody in Rochester because um, the Total Exclusive is an event that will not happen very soon again. And we wanted to celebrate it by really bringing the community together and invite everybody who has ears and legs to come and enjoy that concert. And hopefully the next afternoon, spend with us and actually watch the eclipse. And it's also wonderful, I think on the 6th, you have a sensory-friendly version of this program. That's something been happy to see more of. Jeff referenced earlier playing concerts in parks and schools and churches that this season is part of 100 Acts of Giving Back. And overall, there's been more thinking about how we make the orchestra and this experience accessible to more people, whether it's people 
in memory care units or people with autism needing different accommodations for the concert. I guess, could you speak a little bit about some of these programs with the Rochester Philharmonic? Well, the orchestra goes out, as you said, to all kinds of community centers, churches, uh, memory care units, uh, where we see a need in our community, we try to bring the majesty and the spiritual nature of what we do to the human spirits. And some people are infirm, some people have disabilities, but when you start to play music, you reach them at a level which transcends anything uh, other than the spiritual connection of that sound to people. So we we know that we can affect uh, just multitudes of people. And, and I'm always thrilled when uh, I, I might be in town and I, I drive downtown for a meeting or something and I see all these buses lined up outside the theaters. Oh, all the fifth graders. 10,000 or 12,000 fifth graders in one week or 10 days come through the theater and sit there and hear this orchestra. So we have an incredible impact outside of the theater in this community. We always have, since the inception of the orchestra, there was a point in time in the late 40s and early 50s where there were broadcasts in the schools of the orchestra every week performing concerts. And during the week, the the kids would study a little bit what the music was going to be. So we're just continuing a tradition that is is one of the unsung heroic things that we do in this community. And I know that it's been wonderful to have Gerard Hardiman, who was mentioned as one of the three conductors who's part of the Eclipse concert. He's leading the youth orchestra and also very much working with a lot of these concerts for youth and families and outreach. I do want to mention another event this weekend. Andreas, maybe you can speak a bit about this, which is that the youth orchestra and the professionals from the Philharmonic are playing side by side. These are still, for me, having studied music when I was younger, some of my favorite memories of getting to sit there next to a real grown-up professional musician and play a concert and rehearse and learn for them. So you can mention some of uh, a bit more about this side-by-side experience. Yeah, it's something that both the orchestra and the youth symphony look forward to. I'm I'm looking forward to there. I'm going to be there on next Sunday uh, when they do that. And it's, it's featuring a piece that has so much history with Rochester. It's Howard Hansen's Second Symphony, The Romantic which I've done many times now by by now with the Rochester Philharmonic. And to hear that with the young people and their added level of excitement and enthusiasm for this music is something that should be very special. It's it's a real Rochester event. Uh, Howard Hansen's Second Symphony played by the Youth Symphony and the RPO together. And then something else we only alluded to, and I want to mention as we are sort of running out of time of this fun conversation about all the music that is on the way, is that there is another series of concerts that the RPO does at Nazareth University on Sunday afternoons in the beautiful hall there, that one time I went and I was surprised how much of a line I had to wade through to get through because these are very popular. And in this Sunday afternoon, I feel that I sometimes get to hear pieces I might not hear on the main philharmonic season, including this next season, including Franz Berwald's Symphony Singulaire. Mm-hmm. It's an incredibly successful and popular season. We actually had to send some people home. So we start now with um, um, numbered seats. We we normally had first comes first surf, but now we have numbered seats there for those concerts. And it will feature next season all four Bach suites, which is a staple of everybody's CD collection, right? The famous suites by Johann Sebastian Bach. A number of very interesting solo works that will again feature members of this orchestra that you don't often hear in soloistic roles. For example, our principal trombone, David Brussel, or our wonderful English horn player, Anna Steltenpol. And the second half will all be early classical symphonies, so Beethoven's second symphony and Schubert's sixth and Mendelssohn's first symphony, which I think has never been done here. And as you just mentioned, a um, composer that not many people know, but because I'm from the borderland between Germany and Scandinavia, I know him very well, Swedish composer Franz Berwald, who is kind of the missing link between Schubert and Mendelssohn, I would say. And this symphony single year is one of his most wonderful pieces. And the one other thing, I think, as I look through uh, sort of big themes, so of course, anyone looking through the season and looking at Dan's article there at rockcitymag.com, We'll probably find their favorite names of whether soloists or composers standing out to them is that for fans of great choral singing, in addition to Madrigalia being part of the Eclipse concert, I know we have both Handel's Messiah and Mozart Requiem with the Rochester Oratorio Society. So just a few other notes and about to wrap it up. But any other comments from either of you? I can maybe give you about 30 seconds each. 
Don't miss the Gala Holiday Pops. It's the one concert that many people go to in a year, and it's going to be incredible, as it always is with our Festival High School Chorale. And Andreas? I think we covered everything that I wanted to cover, so thank you so much. Well, thank you so much to Andreas Delfs, music director of the Rochester Philharmonic Orchestra, and to Jeff Tyzik, the principal Pops concert of the RPO, for being here with us for this program on Connections, discussing the 2024-2025 RPO season just, just released, as well as this upcoming Eclipse concert on April 7th. Also, thank you so much to our producer, Megan Mack, and to Mike Sedoni from the RPO for arranging all of this. I'm Mona Segatola-Slami, and this is Connections.